0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Every leader has a call. Every call has a story.
1: St. Peter was called by Christ to dare great things, but he was called to dare great things because he was loved by Christ and knew it. Discovering Christ's love for you gives courage and incentive to strike out and follow him on the paths where he leads. Everybody, I've got a special talk here with you in this special opportunity to address you in the name of the lord and to share with you the insights that we find from the life of saint peter the apostle and the insights are astounding they shouldn't be astounding though like right we should actually kind of expect that jesus who chose saint peter to be the first pope and therefore a leader of the church would actually be giving us, thereby, an example of leadership. Why is it that we are so seldom given that message that St. Peter actually is a great leader? It's funny, but usually when I hear people talk about St. Peter, they talk about St. Peter, the kind of like joyful little bumbler who always puts his foot in his mouth, and we find him very endearing. And fine, I I get it. I I mean, I'm glad you find St. Peter endearing, But Jesus found him more than endearing. He wasn't like some sort of divine comedian that the Lord chose just to make people feel better for their own foibles. (laughs) St. Peter was chosen by Christ as the head of the College of Apostles of those whom he himself chose to be the good guardians of the message of salvation for this world. St. Peter was given the place to be the head. The leader of the leaders of the leaders of the world. So, I mean, like, obviously, you know, this is kind of a big deal. When the king of kings chooses a vicar, (laughs) he must really be something special. Now... I'm not here to make the case that St. Peter's leadership is somehow the best leadership of all time, but I would like for us to look at it as an example, especially when, biblically speaking, you look at these texts, no other apostle is mentioned more than St. Peter. No other apostle has more mentions, is given more time in the gospel. No other apostle has more references to him made than St. Peter the Apostle. So even for the gospel writers writing the Bible at the time of Christ, they were keen to show that Peter had a primacy and that his life was important. All four of them list him as the number one on their list of the 12 apostles, for example. And, and all four of them talk about different parts of his life and his attitude. Peter was the first in so many ways. And that commands our attention. What does that have to say to you and me? Because we're trying to do, like Peter, something great for Christ. We've got our jobs in front of us. We've got our missions to accomplish. We've got our leadership roles sitting there. We've got our families to lead. Maybe we're just not motivated enough about what the Lord's calling us to do. Maybe deep down inside, we think somebody else is gonna be there to carry that football over the end zone. Maybe we've given up already our letters of resignation just kind of turned them into the culture around us and said, you're too big, bad, too big, bad and ugly. You're going to win the day. I'm not even going to fight you. I don't know if that's in your heart, my friends, but it's got to be banished right now because the Lord Jesus did not call disciples to cower in front of the world. And he didn't give you a family and a wife and children in order to then see whether or not you would feel like you were up to the job. He gave you that family because he knew there was no one else in this world that he'd rather give that family to. Those children too. That bride too. That spouse too. Think about this. And think about it. And I want you to absorb it deep down inside. That God loves you so much that he's called you into leadership. And that means that nobody else is going to make this decision but you. Recently we we, we watched the celebrations uh, of what was going on as the nation remembered Normandy and the D-Day invasion. And there was an interview that I got to see with the granddaughter of Dwight Eisenhower. And she was talking about how difficult the decision was for General Eisenhower to launch the D-Day invasion. And indeed, he was the one who was the architect behind it and who made the decision to go forward on it. And he knew, for example, that the, the estimates of the casualties were extremely high. Uh, up to 50% of paratroopers were expected to die. And he had to make this decision if he was going to, to allow that to happen or not. And the question was posed to his granddaughter, was that hard for him? And she said, of course it was hard for him. But he was the kind of man who knew that somebody had to make that decision. And so he made it. That was the type of leader that Dwight Eisenhower was. Somebody has to make this decision, so he did it. Well, let me put it this way. Somebody has to take this world by storm. Is it going to be you or is it going to be somebody else? If you do not claim turf, culturally speaking, in your family, at your workplace, in your society, at the library, in the gym, everywhere that you go, somebody else will. Why would we let weaker spirits with less to offer this world give their light and shine their message into this world when the sons of God were asked by God himself to do just that? Leadership begins when leaders take the field. And Christ has not baptized you into neutrality. He baptized you into neutrality. In open contest with the princes and principalities of this world and with the forces of darkness in order to win souls for him and you do that not just by the proclamation of the word not just by praying with your kids but also by advancing in your businesses and by looking at your careers as if you were sent there by God to do that job on his behalf That is to say, to take those financial transactions and make them good, to take patents and make patent work good, to serve tables and to do it well, to deliver a product that's dependable in an ethical way and to create and run a business that actually edifies your employees. These are things that if you do not do, they have dramatic consequences on every other aspect of this world. You are holding our culture together and you're called to do it but you're gonna have to make the decision that you might not want to make and that other people won't necessarily say you have to make that decision is to lead time in and time out this is why your call is so important simon peter stepped up to the plate all that you want to say about him and his baffling or him and his foibles and all these things but you can say all you'd like because they're probably all true But there's also a greatness to this man, a greatness that Christ saw, a greatness that Christ summoned, and a greatness that Peter gave. And by doing so, he becomes a model for the rest of us.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: You know, if if we take a look at the call of St. Peter, right, we find that there's actually two levels to that call. You have on the one hand the call to do stuff, right? So this is summarized in that beautiful word that really speaks right to the heart of the Petrine vocation, follow me. This is the call by Jesus to Peter. He says it to him in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4 when he's, Peter's in the boat, sending down his nets, and Jesus walks and sees him and says, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. And we see that that same call must have been really the, the call for Simon Peter because in John 21 at the end of Christ's dialogue with Peter, what does he say to Peter? The same thing he said in Mark 1 and Matthew 4, follow me. Isn't that beautiful? Peter is is called to tend the sheep of Christ, to feed the lambs of Christ by following Christ as Christ so loved the world that he gave his life for it. So Simon Peter was called to so love this world that he gave his life for it. And he did just that. I mean, the leadership of Peter in Acts of the Apostles is amazing. He had to organize the Christian community in Jerusalem when they went from zero to 3,000 in one day. (laughs) Just look at that for a managerial task. You got, I mean, he's got no process he's set up. He's got his messaging just barely there. He's got no mission statement, no values in line. He's got no communication plan. (laughs) And he just found himself with 3,000 people who are now turning to him as new Christians, in one day. If you looked at the 12 apostles, do the math. 3,000 baptisms in one day divided by 12. That makes 250 people per apostle baptized. Now let's do some math again. If you were to say and divide that and say, let's let's suppose it's 240 people. Let's suppose they exaggerated the 3,000. We'll round it down a little bit. That means that each apostle was baptizing one person for every six minutes for 24 hours straight <laughs> so if you were to cut that half they didn't do it for 24 hours they only did it for 12 hours straight well that's one person every three minutes that and that's for every apostle and now having done all those baptisms in one day uh, they're sitting there saying now what do we do next peter had to step up his life was full of practicalities ministry speaking We're, we, you know, organizing crisis situations after crisis situations. And when decisions had to be made about the direction of the church, they turned to St. Peter to make those decisions. Do we baptize Cornelius or do we not? Do you know, do, what do we do with St. Paul when St. Paul just had his conversion? Oh my goodness. They're killing St. Stephen. What are we going to do about that? And then what are we going to do about the persecution that Saul's ravaging on the church? You know, there's all kinds of situations. Ananias and Sapphira, the usage of funds, the waiting on of widows, the different different, uh, speaking groups from the Greek speaking and the Hebrew speaking. Peter had to deal with all of that, and he did. He followed Christ. Just as Christ so loved the world that he gave his greatness to it, Peter also had to deal with everything that we have to deal with in our businesses. And on top of it, preach the word of God. He must have been an incredible person. But you know what? This is not what makes Peter great. The call of Peter by Christ in Mark 1 and Matthew 4, and it's of course which is completed in Luke chapter 5, this follow me is actually preceded by an earlier call. A call that John alone tells us about in John chapter 1. This is where the first time Peter and Christ meet. And this is, of course, John chapter 1, verse 40 and following. And I, I want to focus on this because, you know, we're going to spend many times here looking together at how Peter served Christ, how he tended the sheep, how he fed the lambs, how he served, you know, Christ in that way by doing stuff for him. But all of that service is belied by a deeper vocation. And it's the vocation that's at the heart of your leadership as well. And it's this mystical meeting he has with Christ. This relationship of love. Let's take a look at John 1 chapter 40 together. i try to understand this together. And so we know what's happening. Jesus is down by the Jordan River he's most likely near the Jerusalem uh, area of the Jordan River. So if you hit Jerusalem on the map and then turn east, you're going to end up in, uh, on the Jordan River. And that's where John was baptizing. And so G- there are there like two and a half days walk to Galilee where Simon Peter would end up being called by Christ on the seashore. But before that happened, Peter's younger brother Andrew was already following John the Baptist. Now, I I put this out there for you because remember that when Jesus in Mark 1 and Matthew 4 goes along the seashore and calls Peter and Andrew at the same time, they both leave their nets and follow him. And and you could just say, well, that must have just been something. There was a lot of preparation that went into that. Peter and Andrew were devout men. They knew their God. And that devotion was so uh, acute that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer is the preeminent voice of Israel. He's the first prophet in 400 years to set foot in the soil. He is the precursor to the Messiah. He's the greatest prophet of all time. Jesus says of him that no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. And that's the personal coach, so to speak, of St. Andrew who's the younger brother of Simon Peter. And that devotion must have been really profound because when Andrew finds the Messiah, and this is, of course, John 1.35, it goes like this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the ninth hour. So that's, of course, the call of St. Andrew. Now look what happens. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This meeting took place before he called him on the shore. This is the foundation of the call to follow him. He doesn't even ask Peter here to follow him. There's something deeper that takes place between Peter and Christ. A type of magic, a mystical moment that defines the whole life of Peter so radically that he will follow him when Christ calls him. And a few months later when, when Jesus is on the seashore and he sees Peter and he says, follow me. Peter leaves everything. Why? Because of what happened here. Before that call to do stuff, there was a call within a gaze. A knowledge that Jesus had of Peter's heart. And a knowledge that Peter had that Jesus loved him. And if we could touch into that,
0: we'd see the power behind everything else that he does. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at SaintJohnInstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ.
1: Looking here at John 1 again, we look at John 1, 41. He first found, Andrew found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. The very first thing we can see about this encounter is that it happens through Andrew. That's that's significant. Why didn't Jesus somehow or other get Peter? He wanted Andrew to witness to Peter and then for Peter to come. Peter is called by his own brother. I think this is interesting because many times we, we feel like we're left out because mystical things don't happen to us, you know? We hear stories of the saints, we hear stories of great leaders, Dwight Eisenhower, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then we say, well, Jesus didn't do that with me. All he did with me is ask me to join the union. And then, you know, I, I'm now the foreman on a cement, you know, crew. And so like you say to yourself, well, that's not much. That's nothing special. And, and because, because it wasn't direct, we think that it's not true. Well, Look at for the call of the first pope the fact that it wasn't direct it came through Andrew why because most of the time god is not going to call you directly he'll always be at work he'll always be the one calling but he loves and prefers to use his messengers he loves to use radio to call people he loves to, to use other people witnessing he loves to hide behind his instruments And he's going to ask Peter to do just that the rest of his life, to be that instrument for him. So his own call is not a direct dramatic call by Christ. His own call is a direct witnessing by his brother Andrew because he's going to ask Peter to do the same thing, to be his vicar on this earth, to be the one Jesus hides behind. Do you see how that works because he's gonna do the same thing for you. Not only will he be speaking to you through priests who get up in front of you and tell you about Simon Peter's leadership <laughs> or TV shows or videos or ministries or you know, but he'll also be he'll also be asking you to be his vicar there as the foreman of your work crew. He he's asking you to be his vicar as the CEO of that business. He's asking you to be that his vicar as the 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 wife to his son. He's asking you to be his vicar. And that's very important that you realize the power of that role. The very first pope was saved by the witness of his brother Andrew. Verse 42. Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Peter. The whole vocation of Peter to do stuff is rooted at this moment, at this line that's so beautiful. Jesus looked at him. We, we, you know, we, when in, after Peter denied Christ three times in the Gospel of Luke, you know what it says? It says, then Jesus turned and looked at him. And then Peter weeps bitterly. The gaze of Christ is this moment so full of power that it motivates a whole life of ministry, even to St. Peter's death, upside down on a cross. Peter would leave his nets in Matthew 4 and Mark 1, but in Luke 5, he'll leave everything for Christ. Later on in Matthew, he'll ask the same Lord, Lord, what about us who left everything for you? Peter's keenly aware of just how deeply that gaze pierced his soul. He met Jesus that day. He didn't just hear about Jesus. He didn't just think about Jesus. He didn't just read about Jesus. He met him. Jesus looked at him. In St. John's book of Revelation, it twice mentions the eyes of Christ. And both times it says his eyes were like flames of fire. And Peter looked into the eyes that are like flames of fire and he saw a man whose love was so deep that everything in Peter found was less than what he found in Christ. Jesus as a figure is not a judge who comes to demand things from us and, and exercise punishment. He is that, but not first of all. The Jesus whom the Catholic Church presents is not a distant God who doesn't care about you, but whom you'll meet at the end of your life. He is that. He does care about you, but he is distant, and you will meet him at the end of your life, but this is not firstly who he is. Jesus the Catholic Church presents is not a God who is against you. He's a Savior who came down from heaven to look into the depths of your soul, and those who have the courage to let his eyes penetrate their darkness with his light, find themselves filled with salvation and grace. My friends, the problem is not your sins. The problem is not your brokenness. The problem is you have yet to lift your eyes to see his, looking upon you with love. My daughter, my son, rise. I command you to walk, I did not mean for you to sit in the darkness of addiction and in the chains of depression. I called and summoned you into great victory and I want to live that victory with you and in you because you are mine. The love that Peter saw in the eyes of Christ for him that day were so marked him that months later when Jesus asks him to leave everything, he does immediately. And he takes upon himself that new burden of leadership, not that of the entrepreneurial businessman in a second-generation family-owned business, which is what the Bible shows us he was, but instead he takes the shoulder upon himself to be the father for the world, to open his heart and his skills and his greatness Not because Jesus commanded him to do things for him, but because Jesus loved him more than these. And so he asks Simon Peter at the end of his life, or before he leaves the earth, more precisely, in John 21, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? I have shown you that I love you more than these. Do you love me more than these? In that love affair of a soul with Jesus Christ, we find the fullness of the Christian message. And that love affair is something Jesus wants for you, my friend. To believe in that love, his arms are open upon the cross in a permanent embrace for you. This is how much I love you, he said. And he opened his arms and he died for you. And he died for you, says St. Paul, while you were still in your sin, while you were still a sinner and an enemy with God, He loved and showed his love to you by opening his arms on the cross and letting his heart be opened by the spear tip of a sinful man. And that fire of his love is present now in front of you knocking at the door of your heart. And if you can answer to that love, there is no stopping what you will do for him. And how you can take this world with by storm, your leadership begins with Jesus's love for you and His deep call:
0: Follow me. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at dot org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.